Exodus chapter 9 as we hit the plagues number 5 through 9. Again, what's the purpose of all this? Is God just sort of flexing and showing how powerful and mighty he is? Is God just really mad and angry at Pharaoh so he's taking out his aggression out on Pharaoh? Is the Lord just bored up there and he has extra blood and lives in heaven and he's trying to get rid of some of it down on earth? What in the world is the purpose of this? Again, number one purpose is to free God's people from slavery. That was the number one purpose, is to free his people. He promised Abraham after 400 years, then the people would be able to go to the land of milk and honey. And in freeing God's people, it's also protecting the coming Messiah. That from the garden, Eve was promised that from her seed, one would come that would crush Satan's head. So God, he needs to protect that. He needs to make sure that happens That's the first purpose. Second purpose is to punish the Egyptians for enslaving the Hebrew people and also murdering all those baby boys. Uh, The Lord, he's a just God and he's a righteous God. So now he needs to punish the Egyptians, punish Pharaoh for his slavery and also the murder of all these baby boys. Number three, it's to show Pharaoh, the Egyptians and even the Hebrew people that there is truly only one God. Only one true God. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to salvation. And the Lord, He's going to show this to Pharaoh. If you remember when Moses first comes to Pharaoh, he says, Hey, Yahweh has sent me. Yahweh, He wants to free His people. And Pharaoh almost scoffs at Moses, saying, Hey, I don't know who that God is, and I got no business having to change my life or my decisions because of your God. And in fact, because you bothered me and annoyed me, I'm going to make the slaves work even harder and I'm going to take away some of their supplies, but I'm still going to require the same amount of work. Again, Pharaoh scoffs at the idea of the God of the Hebrews. So through this, the Lord is going to really show Pharaoh who he is, right? Who's the boss? In Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, you can just write that down. Uh, Here, this is where we'll see how God, he's very specific with each and every plague. It says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Again, the Egyptian people, they trusted in their own gods. Pharaoh, he trusted in his own gods. He trusted in himself. The Egyptian people would see Pharaoh as a god. So he trusted in himself, his own might. And now the Lord, he's going to show them who the true and living God is. So Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. The fifth plague is a disease on a livestock. It tells us in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. And then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Again, God continues to have Moses come before Pharaoh and give him two options. 
He says, hey, Pharaoh, you got two options. You got a choice here. You can let my people go or every single piece of livestock that's out in the field is going to die by a very severe pestilence. And now we see a continued theme here in these next plagues, how the Lord, he sets a difference between his people and between the Egyptians. We saw that in the last plague, how the Lord, he protected his people from all the flies, all the bugs, everything that was going around. But now the Egyptian people, they were going through it. And now he warns Pharaoh ahead of time, hey, if you don't obey, all of your livestock in the field is going to die. But the Israelites, none of their livestock is going to die. David Guzik, he says, this plague was directed against the Egyptian god Hathor, who was thought to be a mother goddess who was in the form of a cow. In addition, Egyptian religion considered the cattle sacred and the cow was often a symbol of fertility. So next time you go to a baby shower, you can just bring them a bunch of cows. I'm sure she will appreciate it. Uh, it says, God shows Pharaoh and all the Egyptians that he was mightier than this imaginary pagan god. Again, this was one of their gods. Stephen Cole, he cites an ancient record of a battle that the Egyptians lost because all the enemy did was put a bunch of cattle and cows at the front of, the end of their line. And it worked because the Egyptian soldiers were afraid to shoot the opposing army in fear of accidentally killing a cow. So again, this is how they worshipped them. They loved them. You look at India today, it's very similar where there's people dying on the street of hunger, starvation, and yet they have cows and they all got to separate themselves from among the cows because they worship them. They can't touch them. So the Lord, again, touching the gods, touching the things they worship. And even in the back of our minds as we go through these plagues, maybe there's some gods in your life that this year the Lord, He's been poking at them. Maybe it's your health, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your money, your power, your position. And the Lord, he's poking at those gods trying to say, hey, you love this more than you love me. Hey, you care about this more than you care about me. Do you realize that? And the Lord, he'll do that sometimes in our lives. So verse 6, it says, so the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died. Again, it's all the livestock in the field. We're going to see later on there's still more livestock left behind. There's a King James Version, I believe it says that. And it says, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Again, imagine the day and age, the stock market, right? Cattle in ancient times was a sign of wealth and money. The way you would talk about how wealthy you were was how many cows you had, how many goats, how many this. So now all of a sudden you have 90% of all the cattle of Egypt die overnight. Not just a crash, but just being obliterated, destroyed. And yet Pharaoh, he sends a spy, he sends a messenger to go check on the Hebrew people. And they're having pahriadas, right? They're out there hanging out, they're having barbecues. The Israelites, they are completely fine because not one of their cattle passed away. And again, family, how the Lord, He wants to protect us. Through judgment, through difficulties, the Lord wants to protect His people. And again, He continues this theme of creating a holy jealousy within the Egyptian people saying, man, our gods could not protect us. But look at the Israelites. Their God protected them. 
And again, the jealousy that the world should look at us if we are living in a biblical and a holy manner. They should look at your family. They should look at the love, the respect, the peace in your home. And the world should have a jealousy for that because that is not found out in the world. Let's turn to Psalm 91. And here we have a psalm from Moses himself. He writes this while they're out in the wilderness. And he's just talking about, man, just the blessings of being the people of God or the children of God in the midst of much turmoil and trial and insanity. But now in Psalm 91, it gives us the heart and attitude that we should have if we truly are sons and daughters of God. We'll read through the whole Psalm, Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up. Let you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because... He has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Again, family, during this season, where are you dwelling? Are you dwelling in the secret place of the Most High? Are you dwelling in the stillness and the quietness of just being alone with your Bible and reading and praying and meditating? Because if that's where you're dwelling, God promises, hey, He's going to protect you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. You're going to have no fear. You're going to be fine. But if we, even we as believers, if we are dwelling in other things, if we're truly not living a life that says, hey, God, you are my fortress. You are my refuge. Hey, you're going to be shaken. You're going to be frightened. You may even throw in the towel. You may even give up on certain things. But again, remember, He loves us. I love verse 14. It's so encouraging. Because He has set His love upon me, therefore I will deliver Him. And I will set Him on high because He has known my name. Sometimes we think God loves us because He has to, right? He's sort of just forced to love us. But not only does He love us, agape, but He delights in us. He likes us. He enjoys spending time with us. For some people's Thanksgiving, I know none of you, right? You spend time with people that you have to spend time with, right? 
If not your mom, she'll give you a cocotazo, right? If you don't spend time with them. And you love them because they're family, but you don't necessarily delight in them, right? For honest, maybe you don't even like them. But the Lord, He's all of those things. Not only does He love us selflessly, but then He delights in us. He likes us. He enjoys us. He enjoys spending time with us. He desires to spend time with us every morning, noon, and night. Again, the God that we serve. Go back to Exodus chapter 9. We continue now with the sixth plague. And it's the plague of boils. I don't know if you've ever had boils before. I've boiled water before, but that's about it. Right? There's some people that have this infatuation with things like Dr. Pimple Popper, like something like that, right? You see these people with these huge cysts and this gross stuff, right? Now just imagine being covered in that. Not just one, but just all over your body. That's what it's talking about here. Some of you guys, I see you itching yourselves already. But verse 8, it says, So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves a handful of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it towards the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on men and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores among men and beasts. Not a fun time, not an enjoyable time, right? Just being covered. And you think of Job, it says that he had no rest because his whole body was covered in boils. So how do you sit down, right? You got boils down there. Try to lie down. You got boils on your front side, boils on your back side. There's nowhere where you can find comfort. And now Pharaoh, all the Egyptians, we're going to see even the leaders within the throne room, they all have boils. They're all covered in them. And this plague, it's one of the first ones that comes without warning or a meeting of Moses speaking with Pharaoh. This is also the first plague where the lives and the health of the Egyptian people is directly messed with and touched. And again, we've looked at this theme that the more we disobey God, the more that we fill ourselves up with pride and say no to God instead of humbling ourselves, the consequences are only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. It's bad enough that all the waters turned into blood, that there's mountains of dead frogs outside, but now you're covered in boils. And not only you, but now all your animals, the few animals that survived, right? Now they're covered in boils. Your cows, your animals, they're crying outside, saying all sorts of noises. You're here trying to scratch yourself with pots and stuff. And it tells us that he took dust from a kiln. And now scholars, they go back and forth with this. We know that the brick kilns, they were used as an instrument to keep the Israelites in subjection to the Egyptians. So perhaps God is using the very same instrument that they used to inflict the Israelites. Now God is using that instrument to inflict the Egyptian people. Other scholars, what they point to is that the Egyptian people also believed in human sacrifice. And that Moses here, in a sense, pointing at their gods, they would have human sacrifice and they would take the ashes of people and they would throw them on people to either curse them or bless them. That now God, again, poking specifically at this God, would be using the same type of thing to get at the Egyptian people. We can turn to Jeremiah chapter 11. And there's a few times in Scripture that as God speaks to His people, He paints the picture that Egypt was an iron furnace. In Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 3, it tells us, 
and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do all that I command you, so shall you be my people, and I will be your God that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And I answered and said, So be it, Lord. And again, the Lord, He cries out to us this morning as well. He says, Hey, cursed is the man who does not believe these words. Cursed is the man, cursed is the woman who is not living their life according to God's word. And then He gives us the option. He says, Hey, if you obey me, if you humble yourself before me, you're going to be my people. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to bring you into my family and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to care for you. I want to protect you. I want to bring you into a land flowing with goodness. But again, how the Lord, he painted Egypt as a picture of the iron furnace. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 20, it says, The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people. An inheritance as you are this day. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 51, same idea. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. And again, the Egyptian people, we could go back to chapter 9, book of Exodus. They were into health and wellness. They were into being super healthy and being super clean, several baths a day. That's why they shaved their heads. They wanted to be completely clean. And the Egyptian demigod Imhotep, he was looked at by the Egyptian people as the inventor of healing. It was an actual man. Then they said, okay, he's a demigod. And then later on, they would fully deify him as the god of healing. And yet this god, Imhotep, he's got nothing for them, right? Because they're all covered in boils. They're all unhealthy. They're all looking sick to the point that verse 11 and 12, even the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Again, these magicians, these men that had given their lives over to be priests for these false gods. And yet their false gods could do nothing for them. Absolutely nothing, right? They get a call from the secretary. Hey, uh, Moses wants to come in and have a meeting with you. I can't go in. Covered in boils, right? Now in verse 12, this is the first time we see this statement here. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And some people, they take this. They take Romans chapter 9 and they try to paint a picture that I, pobrecito Pharaoh. Poor little Pharaoh, he wants all, with all his heart, he wants to obey God and follow God. But man, God is so mean, he hardened his heart and did not allow him to turn to him. Family, don't get it twisted. Pharaoh has and will continue to be a free moral agent throughout all these chapters. You see, he's going to give you six verses. Exodus chapter 7, verse 13. Exodus chapter 7, verse 22. Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. Exodus chapter 8, verse 32. Exodus chapter 9, verse 7. Guess who's hardening their heart? Pharaoh. Six times there, Pharaoh, he's the one that decides, you know what? I'm going to harden my heart. I'm going to harden my heart. 
I'm going to harden my heart. What we're seeing here in Exodus chapter 9, verse 12, it's the same thing that we'll see. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. What in the world is going on, God? Well, how could you be so mean, hardening the heart of a man? In Romans chapter 1, we get a true picture of what's going on here. And if you're confused or lost about the world and God, how did we get here? What's going on in our world? I encourage you when you get home, slowly read through Romans chapter 1. And it's going to give you, man, just the ladder, the roadmap of how we got here. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Again, family, there gets a point where the Lord will give us into the things that we truly want and desire when it's not Him. There's a point where God says, I'm trying to hold back. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to protect you. And then finally He'll just say, okay, you can have it. This is really what you want. I'm going to allow you to completely go that route. I don't know if you've ever done that as a parent, right? Your kids keep asking you for something like, you don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that. That wasabi is not mint chocolate chip ice cream. You do not want that. You don't want that. And they keep crying. They keep crying. They keep going nuts. Finally, all right, have at it. Have at it. Go for it. That's really what you want. Go for it, right? And sometimes that's what the Lord does with us. We're saying, Lord, I want this. And Lord, I want this. And God is warning you. He's warning you. He's warning you. But you keep fighting with him. And the Lord, he may give you that big mouthful of wasabi because that's all you've been wanting. It's all that you've been crying about and desiring. Stephen Coy says the moral here is that God hardens those who hardens themselves. Again, if we are hardening our heart towards the Lord, there's going to get a certain point where God says, okay, here you go. You want to be hard towards me? You don't want anything to do with me? Here you go. He continues, harden is the expression, not of the divine purpose, but of a result of the disobedience to the divine appeals from heaven. As a matter of fact, all the plagues were intended and calculated to soften Pharaoh's heart if he had been willing to yield. Again, each plague gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse. Last time we were together, we saw Moses telling Pharaoh, hey, Don't be deceitful with me anymore. If you're telling me you're going to let us go, actually let us go like you have not done the past several times. We're going to see in a little bit here where Moses again appeals to Pharaoh saying, if God wanted to wipe you out with the first plague, he could have wiped you out and you would have been able to do nothing about it. Again, family, God extends his grace even in judgment. Even within judgment, God There's grace and mercy there. You go to the book of Revelation and you're going to see there lots of similar plagues and things happening. But the Lord always does it little by little. First it's like 20% and 30% and 50%. But then towards the end of Revelation, it's everything gone. All the islands, all the stars, all the people. And it just continues this progression of God crying out to people saying, hey, will will you humble yourselves? Will you turn from your wicked ways? Will you live being obedient to God's word. But what does Pharaoh continue to do? He doubles down on his evil. Again, may we not think he's this niño lindo that is trying to obey God, but he can't. He's done evil several times. The first Pharaoh, what did he do? He put the Israelite people in slavery. What had they done? Nothing. There was just a lot of them, and he was afraid. So he decided, I'm going to put them in slavery. 
Then he said, I'm going to put taskmasters over them. Then what did he do? He killed every baby boy for a generation. That's an evil, wicked man. It's a wicked, wicked man. Then God cries out to him. God is having all these different plagues happening. And several times he lies to Moses. Hey, you take this plague away and I'll free you. Plague's gone. Forget about it. Never mind. Several times. This is an evil, evil man. We go to verse 13 back in Exodus chapter 9. And now we're going to see the seventh plague, which is the plague of hail. Not of hell, but of hail. Uh, So number seven is verse 13. It tells us, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. Again, the Lord, he's bringing a heavy warning to Pharaoh. He's saying, Pharaoh, I'm just getting started, man. I got way worse left. Nile turned to blood, frogs, lice, mosquitoes, cockroaches. I got way worse than that. Repent. Let go. Let go of them. Right? He tells them, I'm going to send all my plagues to your very heart. And again, he's showing him the grace. I could have wiped you out with one plague, but I didn't. Verse 16, but indeed for this purpose, I raised you up that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. You read verse 16 and you think, man, that's a beautiful verse. I'm going to put down my fridge, right? But if you don't know the context of what's going on there, you say, whoa, what's going on here, right? And my senior year of camp, somebody gave me that verse. And I'm wondering, did they know the context of who he was talking to? Did they, did they do that? I don't know. But yeah. So we read this verse and we think, man, what's going on here? God's telling Moses to tell Pharaoh, hey, this is the reason I've raised you up. That I'm going to show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you, what do you do instead? You exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Family, the truth is God's purposes, God's power, and God's name will always be declared in all the earth. It's always going to happen. And there's nothing we or anyone can ever do to hold that back. One of the greatest defenses even for scripture and God's word and Christianity is that it's been under fire for thousands of years and yet it's still here what other religion what other book is constantly attacked burned killed martyred and yet it's still here it's still standing here Psalm 64 verse 9 it says all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God for they shall wisely consider his doing Again, all men, all of mankind, Psalm 64 verse 9, will fear and declare the work of God. Psalm 83 verse 17 and 18, it says, Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. God's purposes, God's power, God's name, it's always going to be declared family. The question is, are you going to be used as a son and daughter? Or are you going to be used like a tool, like Pharaoh? 
That's a decision that, again, grace of God, He allows us to make. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And here, Paul, he's going to use certain words, this word vessel. He uses the same words in uh, Romans chapter 9. You'll see those same words there, vessels for honor and dishonor. And again, the beauty, the grace, the mercy of God is he allows us to choose what team we're going to be on, right? If you want to be on team boils or not, right? He allows us to choose which team you're going to be on. He says, hey, my name, my power, my plan is going to happen no matter what. What side do you want to be on? You want to be on the losing side or the winning side? Do you want to be as a son to me that's going out and doing work with the Father? Or do you simply want to be a tool, a hireling? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read a pretty big portion of Scripture, verse 13 through 22. So we get the full context and then we'll come back and uh, pick on a few words. Verse 13, he tells us, if we are faithless... He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The decision is here for us, family. Do you want to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? And here, Paul tells Timothy, hey, these are the different things to keep in mind. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. That that would be in our heart, be in our mind. Am I ashamed right now of the work that I'm doing or the lack thereof? For the Lord right now. Or if Jesus would come back today, if we go to heaven and he judges me for my works, I still want to do more, but I'm confident. I'm happy in what I've done, what I've prepared for the Lord. Then he tells us in verse 19, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Are we departing from iniquity? If you've departed from a party, you're not still there. You're not taking the party with you, even if you're the life of the party. If you've departed, you've left it. You're no longer a part of it. So now for us as believers, have we departed our iniquity? Are we constantly leaving iniquity, constantly leaving sin? If we're those who are His, if we name Him as our Christ, as our Lord, we should be departing from iniquity. Because that's what it tells us is the great 
clarifier if we're going to be the vessel of honor or dishonor, right? Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart, made holy, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Family, it's, it's fun. It's a blessing when you're used by God in someone's life. When you get to be a part of the things of God, there's a blessing there. There's joy. And again, God, he's going to use you one way or the other. It's just, are we going to be vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor? Verse 22, again, another chunk there to help us. How do I know if I'm a vessel of honor or dishonor? Are we fleeing youthful lusts? Are we still acting like a little kid, right? Are we still constantly being given to whatever our emotions are, whatever our lusts, whatever we see we instantly need or are bothered at? Youthful lusts. Are we pursuing righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart? Again, vessels of honor and dishonor. Yesterday I was doing some work in the bathroom. I was fixing a toilet and I was noticing I got a toilet brush and a plunger. I want to hide those things. I don't want anybody to see those things, right? I want to like put those things way, way behind the toilet so you don't even realize that they're there when you use the restroom. But then you have other tools. I have a tool wall that Everything's displayed, so it's easy to find. And there's certain tools I want to display. Certain things of honor, right? This is my lucky machete, right? Or whatever it is for you, right? Whatever tool you love to use, your favorite hammer, your favorite computer, favorite gun, whatever it is, your favorite tool, and you display it, you put it out there for everyone to see. Again, which vessel are we going to be for the Lord? That toilet brush, that plunger that's only pulled out for necessities and emergencies? Are we going to be that vessel of honor, ready for any good work that God has for us? We go back, Exodus chapter 9, verse 18. So the Lord, he tells Pharaoh through Moses, Hey, behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and on every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. We just hear hail in Egypt and we all have the same expression. Like, okay, whatever, who cares, right? A bunch of hail in the middle of a desert. Again, many parts of Egypt, they receive one to two inches of rain the whole year. The entire year. And now the Lord is telling Moses to tell Pharaoh, hey, there's going to be hail like never before. I can imagine someone comes here this afternoon and they say, hey, God is going to judge Miami. And there's going to be snow like you've never seen before in Miami. Dude, that's not saying much, man. I haven't seen much snow in Miami. But then he goes, no, there's going to be so much snow. The blizzard's going to be so bad that you got to bring your animals in. If you leave your chihuahua outside, he's going to be frozen to death. He's going to be put to death. Your landscapers, the people that work in your house, go to work. If you go outside your house, you will die because there's going to be so much snow. It's going to get so cold. Yeah, we laugh. What the heck are you talking about, dude? It's never snowed. My parents always told me that one story that there was snow one day in Miami. I don't even know if I really believe it or not, right? That's what people tell us. And that's what's going on in the heart of the Egyptian people. But now notice verse 20 and 21. He who feared the word of the Lord... Among the servants of Pharaoh, hey, he made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Again, 
the love and grace of God, he warned them, hey, it's gonna, there's going to be hail like you've never seen before. Bring your servants inside. Bring your cattle inside. Don't let people die. Don't let animals die for no reason. And now those who fear and respected God, they obeyed his word. And guess what? Their cattle, their servants, they were alive. They didn't die. You see, fear and respect of the Lord leads us to an obedience of his word. If you really obey God, if you really love God, if you really respect him, you really have a reverence for him, you're going to be obedient to this book. Just as a disregard to the word of God reveals, you have no fear of God. You have no respect of God because you do nothing that he says, right? It's sad when you see kids treating their parents with no respect, right? No fear. I don't know if that bums you out. It's something that bums me out. They just have no respect. They could care less what their parents are saying. So they blow them off and they, they go do whatever they want. Many of us, that's how we're living. We're saying, yeah, Lord, I want the fire insurance. Yeah, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. But pff, this book, I could care less. The rapture, tribulation, Egypt, is any of this real? Right? I don't really know if this is real. I just don't want to go to hell. That's going to really reveal if you respect and love the Lord or not. But hey, anyone who is willing to, Egyptian, Hebrew, slave, free, high-ranking official, lowest of the low, they were free to have more life being brought into their homes, just like us, guys. The Lord, it's there. We can have more life come into our home, but we need to fear and respect the Lord and His Word. Verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck through the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. The hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Imagine being an Israelite kid, right? That must have been so cool. You get to be outside and just look at everything going on. You don't got to be afraid you're going to get smacked. Probably the moms didn't let them outside anyways. But, right, again, the, the picture here, how the Lord protects his people. He's pouring out his wrath. He's pouring out his judgment. But he's protecting his people. Yeah, that's so why, again, another point for pre-tribulation rapture. that We believe that's what God's word says. Because all throughout scripture, when he's pouring out judgment, he's not wrecking his bride. He's not an abusive groomsman. He's going to take care of his bride. And in the same way, the rapture is going to take us out. And things are going to get terrible. But this is interesting. A storm like no other. John Trappy says, it was a strange mixture. A miracle within a miracle. You see, fire and water made peace between themselves that they might obey the will of their creator. Again, it tells us that there's hail raining down from heaven with fire, probably lightning, thunder, all of these things. Verse 27, Pharaoh, he sent, he calls for Moses and Aaron. He says to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail. Pay attention here. The first thing he asks for freedom from, it says it's the thunder, right? 
the mighty thundering. In the Hebrew, that word mighty thundering, it's literally the voice of God. And I got to imagine here, again, is it just a simple thunder that just was freaking them out nonstop that they wanted peace from? Is it actually the voice of God that he's crying out to the Egyptians? He's warning the Hebrew people. We know throughout the Psalms, it tells us the voice of the Lord is on the waters. It breaks the cedars of Lebanon. But again, just the power of our God. I don't know if you've ever been in a lightning storm or a thunderstorm. I think people either love them or they hate them. One of those people that loves them. I remember one time as a kid, we were out in the pool, summer Miami. You know, every afternoon there's going to be a storm rolling in. But we're in the pool hanging out. And I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of extreme athletes. They get in the shallow end of the pool and they just jump straight out of the pool, right? They go from the shallow end, three feet. They jump out of the pool onto dry land. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos. But man, I was just a kid. We're there in the summer. They were with my friends. And all of a sudden, a lightning storm and thunder starts rolling. All of a sudden, I look at my friend. And they've gone from the water outside of the pool in one moment, right? The thunder, the power of thunder, the power of nature that shows us the power of God. And then we look at Pharaoh and his words here in verse 27. And you think, man, this guy was at a Billy Graham crusade. He just gave his life to the Lord, right? I have sinned at this time. The Lord is righteous. My people and I were wicked. Did Pharaoh finally come through? You see, the danger is just because we've said we've sinned, just because we've said we're sorry, it does not equal true repentance. We can realize our sin. We can realize our wickedness and the holiness of God. But if we don't turn, if our lives don't change, it means nothing. It means nothing. Pharaoh here, he's saying, I've sinned, the Lord is righteous, I'm wicked, and yet he's going to go right back to what he was doing. And that's a warning for us, family. If we continue to ask God for forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, that is not true repentance. That's just remorse. That's just saying, I'm sorry. But it's different when, man, please forgive me, I'm going to change. How can I make it better? How can I stop doing this forever? There's also other men in Scripture that they do this very same thing. King Saul, he is filled with remorse. He sees what he's doing to his son-in-law, his own son-in-law, David. He says, oh my goodness, David, what am I doing to you? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Next chapter, what does he do? He throws another javelin at David's head. He's not sorry. He's not remorseful. He didn't change. Judas, after Judas realizes what he has done, he is filled with despair. But does he truly repent? Does he go to his own brothers, the own disciples, and ask for repentance, ask for forgiveness? No, he goes to the Pharisees to talk to them about it. He ends up committing suicide. So again, there is a great warning here for us that just because we realize we've sinned, just because we realize God's righteousness and holiness, just because we realize how wicked we are, does not mean that we're going to heaven. If our lives do not change, not going to heaven. There needs to be that regeneration, that change in our heart. I used to be this, but now I'm this. Hey, I used to do those things, but now I'm doing this. We continue verse 29. Moses says to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there'll be no more hail. That you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Again, Moses had discernment. Moses knew what Pharaoh said, but he said, hey, I know you're not yet going to truly fear and respect God. 
Verse 31, it gives us a, a picture of what season, what time this was in Egypt. It says, now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses, he went out from the city of Pharaoh. He spreads his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured out on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he, this is Pharaoh, he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Again, like previous chapters, the moment that the consequences for Pharaoh diminish, the repentance stops. We got to be careful of that within our own lives. We come to the Lord because we have somebody sick. We come to the Lord because our marriage is in trouble. We come to the Lord because we don't know if we're about to lose our job. Then the consequences of our decisions or our trial begins to relent. And then we just forget about the Lord. And we say, ah, I don't really got to go to church anymore. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Why should I go to church, right? Is that how you want your friendships to be? Like, hey, I don't need anything right now, so... I don't got to talk to you, right? When I need something, then I'll, I'll reach out to you, right? That's not a great friendship, and that should not be our relationship with the Lord. Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, number 8, it's the plague of locusts. And the locusts here, don't really see that many grasshoppers in Miami. Usually when you see them, they're like the little guys. Locusts here is talking about when you go up north, they're like two, three, four-inch locusts. The ones that when they fly around and they hit you, they like hurt. That's what it's talking about here. Verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. It's interesting here, because the Lord tells us why is he doing this, for what purpose, for whose purpose? Open book test, verse 2. It's for them. It's for the Israelites. It's for Moses and for their sons and their sons' sons that now the Israelites, that Moses would tell his sons, his grandchildren, the mighty things that God had done in Egypt. Again, it's mind-blowing to think that the nation of Israel, after seeing these ten plagues, after being freed from slavery for 400 years, after following God by a pillar of cloud, a pillar of smoke by day, and a pillar of fire by night, would in the middle of the wilderness not really trust or believe in God. And the warning here, God was being preemptive, saying, hey, as fathers, as parents, you need to tell your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren the mighty things that I have done for you. Family, are we doing that? Have you told your kids the mighty things that God has done for you? Have you talked about that with your grandkids or do your kids just think you've always been saved, right? My parents, they just descended from heaven and they've been perfect all of their life, right? Is that what you want them to think or do you want them to know the truth? Biblically, we should be telling our children and our grandchildren the mighty things that God has done for us. And there's two great reasons for that. Hopefully, we want to see our sons and daughters come to the Lord and being at church with us, serving with us, being in heaven with us, which should be the ultimate goal. But it's also to serve as a reminder for us of who we once were, of the things that God has done for us. Because if we're honest, we can quickly forget. We can forget the sinners we were, the terrible people we once were, the dire straits we were in. 
And now we can be saved walking with the Lord and we can forget all those things and, and our relationship with God cools down. That's why it's so important to tell your testimony to other people. Tell other people the mighty works that God has done in your life. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron, they come to Pharaoh. They say to them, thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, how long? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? It's the true root of the problem here with Pharaoh. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory and they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hill. Man, you barely got any crops left. These locusts are going to come. They're going to eat whatever is left. They shall eat every tree which grows up out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. Again, the Lord, he cries this out to us as well. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Zach, why are you being so prideful with this? Say you're sorry. Zach, why are you doing this, man? That's all your fault. That's just pride. Zach, why are you doing this? This is just to get attention for yourself. You got to let go of that. Again, how long will we refuse to humble ourselves before God? I don't know if you've been there in a marriage or relationship, right? And you know it's your fault. But you've just doubled down too many times saying that it's their fault and not yours, right? Now there's that battle in your head. I should probably just say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I'm going to say it's their fault again, right? May we not be hardening our hearts more and more. So then he tells them, hey, the locusts are going to come, but they're going to cover the face of the earth. You're not going to see any gray rug. All you're going to see is green and yellow. That's all you're going to see. Everyone's going to be covered. Your houses, your homes... The frogs moved out, and now there's going to be locusts everywhere inside of your houses. Things I'd never thought I'd be Googling is the history of locust swarms, right? But one of the worst locust swarms ever was in 1875. They called it Albert's Swarm. I don't know who Albert is. But there were Rocky Mountain locusts, and there was 3.5 to 12.5 trillion locusts flowing through the U.S. of A., Joe Foley was talking about one in Ethiopia where there was 2,000 square miles of locusts. And they just consumed everything. Finally, a strong wind came, kind of similar to what was going to happen. And they all died in the Red Sea. They all died in the ocean. And then they all started showing up on shore, all the dead locusts. So like we read about the frogs, they had a mountains of locusts five miles long on the beach. And it stank, right? Like the Bible tells us, right? Just locusts everywhere, eating everything, can't walk around, can't drive around. And now in verse 7, it looks like there's problems within the throne room. It says, then Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? It's always interesting to me when even unbelievers are able to see the truth, right? You have the two thieves on the cross and one of them finally sees the truth and says, man, can't you see this man has done nothing wrong? And here Pharaoh, his own servants are turning to him and telling him the truth. 
dude, I don't know if you've been in your ivory tower, but I'm sick and tired of the blood water, then the frogs, then the lice, the mosquitoes, the gnats. If that was enough, then the beetles, the flies, the cockroaches. Then I lost all my livestock. All the fish died in the river. I had boils for weeks and leprosy. There's hail raining outside of heaven. Dude, let the guy go, right? But again, Pharaoh, he was seen as a god. You think about some of the evil nations today. If you speak out against the government, you're dead. Much less being in the throne room of the king who's seen as a god. And now you're speaking out to him saying, dude, what is wrong with you? It's showing the true, man, temperature of what's going on there in Egypt. Verse 8, Moses and Aaron, they were brought against a Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? This is Pharaoh's next compromise with Moses. Moses says to him, hey, who's going to go with us? We're going to go with our young, with our old, with our sons, with our daughters, with our flocks, with our herds. We will go for we must hold a feast to the Lord. We see here Moses' boldness. And now we're going to see Pharaoh, verse 10 and 11. He tells him, the Lord had better be with you when you get out of here. And your little ones go. Beware evil. It's ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. For that is what you desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Again, he uses fear and manipulation to try to get Pharaoh to compromise. Hey, Pharaoh, once you get out of Egypt, it's hard. It's brutal. You take the little kids, they're all going to die. You go and you just leave them behind. The compromise that Pharaoh tries to pull out of Moses. But again, Moses' boldness. This is how we should be as fathers as mothers, as leaders of our home. Who do we want to serve the Lord? Hey, young, old, son, daughter, the cow, the sheep, everybody. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord as much as it's within me. No compromise. Every time we compromise, like we learned last time, we're just giving Satan more of our lives. Every time we compromise, we're saying, okay, Satan, I'll be 5% your slave. Okay, you want 10 more? Okay, you okay Satan, I'll be 15% your slave. Every time we compromise, from the holiness, from what God has called us to, we're giving Satan more of our lives. Verse 10 and 11, we read that, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land. All the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind out of the land all day and all night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up all over the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. They blocked out the sun. How many locusts were flying around? And they ate every herb of the land, all the fruit of the trees, which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 16, Pharaoh, he calls for Moses and Aaron in haste. He says again, right, second time, he prays the prayer. I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh. He entreats the Lord. The Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. And there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. 
But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. We come to the ninth plague. It's the plague of darkness. Verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And they did not see one another, nor did they even rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Right, what an incredible picture for us here. There is darkness all over the land of Egypt to the point where it can be felt. We used to go to camp in Headwaters and we would go caving. And you go into the depth of the cave and you turn off all the lights. You can't see anything. You put your hand right here. You're making funny faces to someone else. You see nothing. Just utter darkness. If you've ever been on a mission trip or you, as a police officer, you step into a certain home and you can feel, you can sense the darkness in a home. And here it comes over the land of Egypt for three days to the point where people, they don't even want to get out of bed for three days. But the miracle here, the children of Israel, they had light in their dwellings, right? Don't know if it's within their homes or if there's a true line in Goshen of just pure darkness and then pure light. The miracles of our God. Verse 24, Pharaoh's next compromise, he calls to Moses. He says, go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones go with you. Just leave me all the cattle, all the herds. We lost all our cattle. Stock market just dropped, tanked. So just leave us your cattle, and then you can go. You can be free. The boldness of Moses. You must. Now Moses goes to Pharaoh. You must give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and we even do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And this is the last time Moses will come to Pharaoh and talk to him, trying to get Pharaoh to come to his senses and release the people of Israel. The next time Moses is going to see Pharaoh, he's going to see him one more time. He's going to be a broken man. He's going to be a broken man because he's going to lose the one thing he loved more than anything else in this world. And again, family, it's been a warning to us that as we disobey the Lord, every time we disobey the Lord, next time, it's just going to be that much easier to disobey. Every time we harden our heart, next time it's going to be easier to get even more hard than to humble ourselves and turn into the Lord. 